This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back. Welcome in. This is Country Roads Confidential at Earsports.com, a CBS Sports podcast. I am Mike Casaza, uh, rubbing my eyes. Squinting, looking across the video conference. I believe that's Chris Anderson. Long time no see. Long time no talk. Yeah, how about that? Uh, nothing has happened. It's been very calm since, uh, oh, wait. Yeah, it was kind of a weird, uh, let's see, baseball fell apart. You had the basketball thing. Apparently, they're changing how you can build rosters in college basketball now, and you're going to have, I don't know, an army of players who are really good at other schools. College football is looming. Yeah, just a, a good time to um, move apart. But by the way, neither one of us is on vacation. We were just that busy. That's pretty cool. Neither of us on vacation yet. Right? But we don't want to get the board riled up about that topic anymore. But I think we do have a lot to talk about today for sure. Including our vacations, but that'll be another day. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to play catch up. We're going to play look ahead. We are going to sweep up all the things that have and may still yet happen here under the WVU sports umbrella. Again, Chris and I haven't really done one of these in a while. And when that happens, there's a lot of topics you have to cover and address and wonder about. In a forum like this, why not? So we're going to ask each other some questions. We have not seen these. We have not rehearsed these. Might overlap. So a short list. You might have to go deeper and deeper down the list to get to something. Who knows how crazy it will get there. But something that's on our minds that we want to know what the other one thinks. Maybe a conversation grows out of this that kind of fills the gap that time created. We weren't able to sit down and do this. Well, not face-to-face, but Zoom square to Zoom square, I guess. Simple format, complex conversations. Important time to do this right now because, as they say, it's uh, it's fluid. A lot happening. Realignment, basketball, baseball, football, media rights. The present, the future of college sports. We have questions, might have answers. Uh, we'll flip a coin, Chris. Um, hold on. There you go. Uh, yeah, I said heads, it's actually tails. So I guess you can go first or you can answer first. What do you think? All right, I'll ask the first question. Ah, all right. And we'll keep it with we'll keep it with basketball since that is seem seemingly the hot topic right now. And you may not be able to answer this since apparently West Virginia is not done adding players, but. And I'll give you a couple options, throw out a couple ideas. Is this the greatest offseason overhaul is not the word, but retooling of the roster in WVU Hoops history? I'll give you a couple a couple little things because it, it it came up a couple of times when I did my history of Bob Huggins fixing it um, and how he overhauled the entire roster uh, on those rare occasions where he was coach and the team went under 500. Um, you go back and look at like the 2019 offseason, uh, in came Deuce McBride, Shibway, Bridges, Osaboyan, Sherman, Sean McNeil. Um, you look at after the most recent one, uh, when the team went under 500, 2022 offseason, Stevenson, Mitchell, Matthews, Toussaint, uh, a couple others. Um, 
and even going back to not even an overhaul of a bad season, but kind of reloading by a high school. And I think people might forget this. I can't remember. Like this was very early on when I was really starting to cover this stuff or follow it at least. But what was this a 2008 class where they brought in Ebanks, Kevin Jones, and Truck Bryant, and D Proby all at once. Mike, what do you think? This is the greatest offseason haul of talent in WVU history. It's hard to argue no right now just because of the timing of it all and the fact that so many doubted that it would happen this way, never mind so emphatically, could, would Bob Huggins adjust the way he had. Remember, he was very outspoken of the practice and also the practitioners when it came to the transfer portal. Trouble was, he's falling behind. And to lean in and to go from Malik Curry, Damone Kerrigan, and Polly Polycap to the number two portal class in the country, maybe number one before long. It certainly has been number one for much of this offseason. I think that's pretty impressive. And it's also at a time where, let's be honest, for different reasons, the finish line is near here. The sun is setting. And they're starting to set that table for the, the goodbye banquet. You kind of have to strike near the end here, and the way to do it is to overhaul like this. So the easy answer is yes. The right answer might also be yes. It's it's one thing to get some recruits in, and it's hard. And you mentioned that Bryant, Jones, Ebanks class. It, it took them two years. Now, to get to the Final Four, <laughs> I get that. But it wasn't immediate right away. They were good their freshman year. Um, but I wonder, like, can this team be as immediate can they do something so special so quick because you're going to have to assimilate all this talent? That's that's a tricky one for me. But again, you don't even have a chance to do that unless you get the players here. To, so, so to have all these pieces and to have a roster that does seem pretty complete and flexible and versatile and can do different things and can stay out of different matchups, that does seem important. Um, top of my head, though, Chris, I'll look at this. I'm going to go back to the 1950s. You have a generational player like, I don't know, Hot Rod Hundley. 55 through 57. You're thinking, man, he'll never be that good again. You have a generational player, Jerry West, 58 to 60. You think, oh, man, it'll never be that good again. You have a generational player, Rod Thorne, 61 to 63. You think, oh, it'll never be that good again. You're talking like top seven scorers in school history who came back to back to back. And I'm not sure that like it satisfies the answer you're talking about, but to line up those three players, to have someone you th- say you'll never, ever top it again, like Hunley, and then to get West, who you'll never, ever top again. And then, okay, maybe Thorne isn't as successful as those two. Only 1,700 career points. And to have him third in line, that's pretty damn impressive when you think about it. Like, singular talents like that for West Virginia basketball at that time of the evolution of the sport, to have one is sweet. To have three in succession, that goes a long way toward rebuilding. I don't know, but certainly sustaining the success and getting a program going somewhere. You can look back at it, you know, 60 years later and say, wow, that was pretty interesting. Could that happen again? Can you imagine having three of the top, I don't know, six, seven players in school history spread out over nine years right now? That would be a pretty impressive rebuild. Nice job making sure to reach all of the demographics uh, of our listeners, Mike. Solid job getting all the age groups. Man of the people. Yep. Okay. Your turn. All right. Stick with basketball. Sorry, Chris. I'm going to do this to you. Over under. One and a half. 
seasons for Bob Huggins. Oh. I said sorry. But let's I be honest. I appreciate you apologizing beforehand. Well, let's be honest. This is something that a lot of people are talking about because of the contract and also it's because of the circumstances of his career, the 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 longevity he's had, the controversy he's had this off summer, the way that his employment is no longer guaranteed beyond this year, but also as we're talking about perhaps his best roster at West Virginia. And I would say since those early Cincinnati days for him. I would say my answer is dependent on how well you think this team is going to gel and how well they're going to do the season. Because even before this spring's incident, if you will, um, I thought there was a real possibility that with the talent he was accumulating and putting together on the court, that if he had one big season, like say, you know, big 12 championship, or like in the regular regular season Big 12 championship or a Big 12 tourney title or a Final Four run, something of that nature. I think that would, despite his comments also this past season, just a few months ago about how, you know, the young guns want him to, or people want him to give it up and give it to some young guns and he's not ready to do that. I thought if it was one big high note, he would go out on it. Um, so I think that was already in play. And then you add in what happened this spring with his comments. I think that maybe, you know, makes it even more likely because then again, it, it's a lot more going on for him. It also eases it up on the school with the changes in the contract. So I think one year is a real possibility and it, it's kind of dependent on how this team does. Cause I think if the team does not do well or is, is okay or, or good and like, but not great that itch might still be there and he might still have a desire to keep going. And I don't think the school is going to try to push him out with a good year and no other, you know, issues. So I'm trying to find a way to cop out on this answer. I'm not, I'm going to say over because I do think this team's going to be good, but I think it would have to be something spectacular for him to say, okay, I'm good. I'm done. You could do spectacular and under too. That's interesting to me. But imagine what that would be. Like I think that would have to be like like they're in the final four for him to do that. Like I wonder if I wonder if Big Twelve champion regular season, let's say. How about this? Big twelve tournament champion, top three finish in the regular season, and into the sweet sixteen. Would that be enough for him to say, you know what? It's been awesome. That was hard to do, but it was redeeming. I'm ready to go right now. This is it for me. I say yes. Okay. I say yeah. So I would say he would be done after one season. If that if that scenario played out, I could see him calling, you know, calling it a day, calling it a career. All right. Here's a tricky one. Sixth place in a loaded Big 12. Conference semifinals. Losing the second round of the NCAA tournament. I don't know if he stays or goes. What does West Virginia think of that? Put all of these resources into this roster, align things to give yourself an out, if you will, however you want to call it, with your coach who you're, you're kind of upset with right now and who you also know you're going to have to break with sooner or later, sooner rather than later, I would think. That's that's an okay season. Might not be enough. What do you think those circumstances do? Top six? conference semifinals out in the first weekend of the tournament. I think for the school to try to kind of force his, I mean, I hate to say it this way, like force his resignation or kind of, Hey, Hey, let's, let's, let's call it. It would have to be a 
wildly underwhelming season and or another issue um, off the court. And so I think if you put that scenario you just played out for me, you know, a, a season that's NCAA tournament team second round, you know, better than it was this year, um, but not quite what everybody was hoping for. I think that's still not enough for the school to kind of push him out. And it might keep him, you know, pining for more uh, thinking, Hey, a couple of these guys have actually more than one year of eligibility. Let's go back to the portal again and try to do it next year. Fair enough. I like it. All right. My question, speaking of over-unders, football. Last year, around this time, they released the over-unders for the 2022 season, and they put West Virginia at five. And both you and I, I, I think both of us, I know I did, and I think you were with me at least to start, said five was, it felt low, that that was a good number to go on because we felt it would be over. But even if it wasn't over, Five, you would still get your money back. And it just didn't seem like it was possible to get under five. Well, it was possible, but even with everything going wrong, they got to five. This year, tougher schedule, I'd argue. Four and a half. Is that fair? And what do you think of that number for West Virginia this fall? I think it's the right number because that is probably where you're going to have a conversation about West Virginia. Are they worse than last year? Are they better than last year? Better is six wins. Worse is four. Um, the trouble is they could also be about the same as they were last year, which that is about the story of West Virginia and Neil Brown's time here in charge. They are about the same. A little better here, a little worse there. The program is not in the same shape, but it's not dramatically improved. The roster is better, but what has it gotten them through four seasons? So I think that's the right number. Is it fair is a really good question. Um, so I'm leaving town here for a while, and I'm trying to do some stuff to look ahead to the season to fill some space when I'm gone. And I am struck by the fact that West Virginia's problems are problems that other Big 12 teams have, and a lot of it's roster turnover. But just anecdotally here, a lot of the oh no about the Mountaineers is oh no, new quarterback. You know how many new quarterbacks there are in the Big 12? Like six of their first seven opponents have a new quarterback. Now, granted, like a new quarterback could be a Tyler Shook at Texas Tech, who was unbeaten in games he played in last year. A new quarterback could be Chandler Morris, who is a pretty talented guy at TCU. But one problem is not the same as another problem, but they're kind of similar. So that's what's so curious about that number to me. Can they have the same problems and be worse than everybody who has those problems? You might say yes, it's because this isn't a team that's really indicated. It can separate itself with similarities. Like you have to have something different, something better to do it, which they also have not lacked. Um, so I think it's a fair number. I think it's probably the right number. It's just to me, I, I'm not sure I necessarily agree with the schedule being as tough as it is. And we've talked about this before, but like they, the schedule helps them in that a lot of teams they play play really good teams and on the road the week before they play West Virginia. And sometimes they're coming to Morgantown, number one. Number two, like they play some of the worst teams that have like the betting odds to win the Big 12 right now. Like they get the four new big comers. They don't play Texas. They don't play Kansas State. That's pretty helpful, I think. And then do you think Texas Tech is going to be this team that all the hype says? Do you think TCU can do it again? I don't know about that. Like, is Neil Brown really going to go 0-5 against Texas Tech? Maybe yes, but maybe just like 
it has to happen sooner or later. And this is the year with all the circumstances lined up. I could see them getting over just because I don't really think that the schedule is like the sixth or seventh hardest in the country. Now, granted, that guy's playing Penn State. I understand that. And Pitt, I understand that. But like Pitt has a lot of problems, including a new quarterback. Uh, Penn State has a new quarterback who will be playing at home in the first game, you know, on NBC. I understand that. But again, like these similarities do exist and there's a common thread. And I just wonder, is West Virginia going to be on the wrong end of all of them? That's hard for me to believe. So I would be inclined at four and a half. That's four wins against the FBS. Four. Like you're going to get one against Duquesne. Can you get four when you're playing the four new Big 12 teams? You're not playing Kansas State. You're not playing Texas. You're also not playing Iowa State. Um, that maybe doesn't help you there. But like you're getting out of the way of some good teams. You're playing some of the teams at the bottom. Uh, Oklahoma State's down there too. There should be a way at this stage to get over four and a half. So I think it's a fair number. I think it's the right number. I also think it's probably low, and there's a chance that they actually could be at five. I'm not sure they're a six or seven win team, but I think they can answer some questions to separate themselves from everybody with all the similar problems that they have. Good answer. Good answer. Okay. I don't have anything else to add. That was my question for you, so I won't add on to it anymore. Okay. Okay. Um. Stick with football then. Okay. Mentioned the quarterback thing. And we have followed this long enough now, Chris, where this is supposed to be a run-based offense. They have the dual threat quarterbacks. I'm not sure they have a Pat White, but I'm also not sure they have a Jerry Dagey in there either, which is good. Somewhere in between, that'd be awesome. They have the blessed running back room. Deep, talented, diverse. Very good. Very good offensive line. And I think that they probably feel decent about the tight ends being able to help them better and more consistently in the block game. So, hey, this all makes sense. Here's the trouble, Chris. College football has been bending toward passing for how long? A long, long time. Your best athletes on the field right, right now are frequently your receivers. Twitchy, fast, inside, can stretch the field. Tall, long, fast, can stretch the field outside. This is a passing offense. We've gone to the shotgun, everybody's spread, everybody's air raid, everybody's three, four, sometimes five receivers. That is the trend. West Virginia is going to be different, unique. They're going to zag when everybody zigs. They're going to run the ball first, foremost, maybe better than they pass it. That's what we think. So here it is. One, is that true? And two, is this collection of coaches and players the one that bucks the trend and succeeds by running? football first foremost better than they pass it well i think that second part's the biggest question mark for me because this this entire coaching staff essentially has a history of air raid and came from the air raid tree they worked under air raid coaches they worked in pass 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 offenses that is what the offenses have been now are they you know 70 pass a game type coaches when they have had the opportunity to kind of mold their own offense like Neil Brown has, or when Sean Reagan's been involved. Uh, no, they're not. Um, but you're then asking them to completely flip the offense into this run, 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 run style. And I think that is, I don't want concern seems like too strong of a word, but I think that's, that's a good question to ask because you have coaches again, that just have a history of coaching and teaching and calling plays one way. And then, there is this understanding that they are going to completely change that and do something different. And I think that's going to put a lot of pressure on, on Chad Scott, um, whether he is calling plays or not, 
that is still going to put the pressure on him mostly because that's his position group that is going to be carrying, you know, the, the brunt of that. And, and it's going to have to handle most of what's going on in this offense. If they do make that switch now, something that I do think helps is the ability of these quarterbacks to be somewhat of a dual threat or even more than somewhat, because we've seen Neil Brown kind of work with that before, not at West Virginia uh, per se, but uh, he has before. And so I think it is possible. I think it is um, doable, but that's the biggest question mark. And I don't think I can answer it is how are these coaches who have a history of pass, pass, pass going to suddenly be, you know, good to great run, run, run offensive coaches. The part about the staff is great. They had two openings in the staff. They could have hired an offensive coordinator um, and they went, um, hmm. They went their own way on the staff. I have no idea how it's going to work out with Bilal Marshall and Blaine Stewart, but they did not bring any anybody who's like, hey, man, we've been uh, a power eye team or I've been, um, you know, a wing tee, a veer, whatever. You haven't gotten that from the coaching staff. And I think you you make a really good point, too, to call these plays and to understand, like, it, it, listen, football is football. I get that. But your your philosophy, your identity, it dictates so much. And the one thing is calling plays, you're setting things up a lot. And it's one thing to set up for an air raid. To, to call plays in the first and second quarter that set you up for play action or misdirection or, or something that's power-based so you can stretch the field with some sort of a sleight of hand, like a play-action pass over the top. Like, you've really got to plant those seeds, and not to say they can't, but that's a curiosity for me. Are they going to be Are they going to be so familiar with that you'll be able to notice they're good at it? Or will they be so new to it that you'll be able to notice that they fumble a little bit? And did they, did they fumble it by not being – more specific with their staffing decisions in the offseason. And then also, <laughs> did they really not change anything? Are they going to be about the same? And we've just taken words from coaches and we've turned this offense into something it is not going to be. I don't know about that one yet either. Do you do you want to ask who's going to call plays? Uh, that's question seven for me. And I was going to wait for you to like just dance around it for three minutes and be like, okay, enough. I learned my lesson. I was going to say everybody contributes to the offense, Mike. That's the answer. Everybody. Yeah. So like one person has the formation, one person has the motion, one person has the snap count, uh, and then one person has like tempo or not. There you go. Perfect. All right. So I've asked a football question, a basketball question. Let's go baseball now. Let's go. Let's let's cover all our bases, if you will. There are some things, obviously, that work against West Virginia when it comes to putting together a competitive baseball team and those being geography. Like again, it, it tends to skew towards teams that are in the South that can play baseball year round that don't have to worry about winter, all that stuff. Uh, I mean, winter weather, if you will. Um, but what is it? What are a couple things that make you think Michael that WVU baseball can sustain this type of success. And what I mean, this type of success, let's not say, you know, top number six in the country like they were last year or Big 12 champions because the Big 12 is slightly down this year from, from where it usually is. Let's say what makes you think West Virginia can do to sustain top 25-ish expectations every year? Got a really good eye for pitching talent. One, not all Alec Manoas and not all... Um... Michael Groves, but like they do have a thing right now where you look at it and they're getting six, four, six, five, six, 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 seven, six, eight 
but like you're talking tall, powerful arms. They're going to grow into their bodies and they're going to be like legit mid 90 Friday, Saturday guys when they hit their junior years. I think that's one thing they have an eye for it and they know what they're looking for. And it's an arms, it's an arms game. I know that we have the metal bats and all that stuff, but even good pitching allowing like four or five or six runs is okay. Sometimes when you're, when you have an offense that can do some things and that's the expectation of college baseball, that's one. So I think they have an eye for talent and they have recruited well, like Maisie's success has been up and there've been some down years in between. So yes, success, consistency. That's one thing. I understand the question there, but like they've always had pretty good talent. And now like, it's not just a small number of players in the class. It's really good classes with really good cores um, of pitchers, of, of infielders, so on and so forth. That's one. Um, two, the facility. Like the 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 ballpark makes a difference now. And just as proof, Louisville baseball, very good. Like just do a quick Google of Louisville baseball and how they've been. And then look at what they are saying about the program right now. Like the coach has got his hands in the air. Um, just kind of frustrated and wants to know if they're going to commit to it because he doesn't like their facility. Not a problem with West Virginia. Great ballpark, great digs for the players, good location, all that stuff. Fans like it. They're coming out. That's part of the facility, getting, you know, 3,500 fans there regularly. That might be a bit much, but it's happening. And they're going to add to it. I think you'll see something soon where they talk about adding some sort of a practice resource, a practice facility to make them a little bit more attractive, a little bit more appealing, but also a little bit more effective. I think that would help them a lot if they can do that. And I think people are going to be able to get behind that because timing is everything this season. People want to be involved. Hey, why don't you donate to this facility we're building? Number one. Number two. Three. Get rid of Texas. West Virginia baseball is going to be better. <laughs> it just is. Um, get rid of Oklahoma. That's a college World Series team not too long ago. And it has been pretty good. West Virginia is going to be better. You got two teams out of the way. That's fine. And then, listen, they're, they're bringing in some football program, or baseball programs that are not going to light the world on fire. It's going to be require a change. Like, for example, BYU will not be playing games on Sundays. So you're going to have to do something a little bit different and play Thursday, Friday, Saturday against BYU, and that happens. You're going to have to go to BYU maybe, too. But, like, it's not a great conference this year, and West Virginia was atop of it for most of the year. Take away the team that punked him at the end of the season take away a college world series team from, I think what, two years ago. And if you're on the way up and you have less traffic in front of you and you have more chasers that aren't quite as good as the teams are leaving, that's going to make you better. So the things that have been consistent, they're eye for talent, the things that are coming facilities and the things that I think that you could use as a, a, a just a confluence of good fortune, just the traffic and the conference who's out, who's in that can help you. I think those are three. How about not this three strikes? Those are those are three singles right now. You got the bases loaded. It's up to you to hit it out of the park. Man, all the uh, baseball related puns is really, really fitting in here. You started with cover the bases. <laughs> Let's take a curtain call now, Chris. Uh huh. I can't help it. I got to scratch it. Conference expansion, conference alignment. Okay. I think the ACC is pretty transparent. They're just trying to milk money out of their their conference. Um, the best teams should get the most money. The best performers should get the most money. I'm okay with that. Trouble is that everything else is transparent now. This is about money, money, money. I don't want to ask you, like, what conference West Virginia is going to be in. I don't want to ask you if the ACC is going to fall apart. Here's my question. We're moving towards something bigger and not necessarily better. People have rumored 224, 230 team conferences. Maybe it's like two pro leagues in the NFL. But 
money is not it for everybody. My question is this push for money, this push for income and revenue. How much does it push people out of this? Because it's one thing to make a lot of money. It's one thing to have to spend a lot of money and never get the goal or even get close to the goal that you want. Because this seems to me like, yeah, there's going to be a lot of people who are involved in two super leagues or which is basically one super league. But realistically, what, 8, 10, 12 teams are going to have a chance with all the resources and all the income they're going to get to win the championship. And you're going to have, I don't know, 40 teams that don't have a chance. Do you think that money doesn't bring people to the table, but revenue and the obsession with getting it is actually what pushes people away from the table? It's going to make schools say, this is not worth it. This is not what we do as a university and athletic department. We cannot sell out everything for football and goals that we cannot obtain. Thank you, but no thank you. I'm having flashbacks. I think it was we did a whole podcast on what drafting a 40 team league. Is it 40, 48, something like that? 224 or 220 team conferences. And we had a lot of discussions about teams like that. Like, would a UVA uh, be like, nah, we're good? Would a Vanderbilt be like, nah, we're good? And my answer has not changed. The answer for these schools is always going to be yes, because the money is what's the money from football is what's going to help them sustain everything else. And I get that if you're not in this top league, you don't have to spend as much for football, but still the, the actual profit, if you will, from football is so great that it funds everything. So I think even at the expense of having to spend more on football um, and going through all of these hoops, they are going to, push for it i think you're going to see some schools uh, up and down you know the ladder here of, of the say more academically inclined non-football schools like a vanderbilt and a uva as well as like the the powerhouse football programs like a georgia and alabama they see what's happening in the acc and i think this is where it's going to change is that moving forward some of these deals are no longer going to be long term i think scarily enough unless they figure something out for again a major conference and and just money that's ungodly you're going to see maybe even more movement or at least more contracts and more talk like this because the issue at hand for this acc uh situation is they signed a ridiculously long contract at a great rate for espn and there is zero 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 reason for espn to say yeah you know what we're getting a good deal here. Let's give you guys some more money. No, they're going to be like, no, we, you signed a contract. We signed a contract. This is it. And the ACC teams, especially the better ones are realizing that. And I don't know how they didn't realize that before they signed it. Uh, Cause everyone else did, but I, I think that'll create more of that, but more short-term deals or more teams moving around more teams unhappy. Cause I think no matter what, no matter what school you are or what the situation is, they're going to be pushing for that money, 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 at the expense of everything else. Okay, that's noble. I get that. I understand that too. At least it's authentic, consistent with the schools. Um, revenue sharing, that, or I guess the revenue distribution. I think that's a wedge that could really push this away from the table though. Because if all of a sudden you're spending the requisite amount, you have to spend so much. And perhaps they tie reinvesting into athletics as part of the incentive program. Like you have to spend this much to get this much revenue. 
I, I think that could be really hard for some schools to reason reason with, like why they would do that. And then all of a sudden, if you're Wake Forest and you find yourself in a conference with like Utah, why are you doing that? Like, like what's what's the deal? Like, what are we doing here? This doesn't make any sense for us, our fans, our players, student athletes. Sorry. Um, it's just it's a strange thing to me. I think you're right. I think it's short sighted and maybe optimistic of me to say people won't chase the money. And I think there's probably a select number of schools that would have thoughtful conversation about this. I just don't know that there's so many that it would really move the needle. But a neat question. I think you have the right answer, though. Do you have a uh, oh, I was gonna say any more wild cards? One, two, while we have some time here. Uh, I got I got one more one for you that that I had, you know, again. We were doing three questions a piece, but I, I made four just in case we had some overlap because we we do tend to, you know, ask the same questions or have the same answer sometimes. This one might be easy. I don't know. Out of the May slash June arriving transfers now, West Virginia has been announcing a handful of them recently. Guys that are enrolling, who will have the most impact? Okay, can't can't pick any of the guys that arrived um, back in January. Um, so that is going to leave you with, here are your options. Who is going to have the most impact out of defensive lineman Fator Mamolba, cornerback Beanie Bishop, edge rusher Tyron Bradley, safety Anthony Wilson, defensive lineman Tamiwa Durojaye, wide receiver EJ Horton, or wide receiver Noah Massey? So my, my instinct is to say EJ Horton because they don't have someone like him. But I just don't know that they know how to use someone like him either. It'd be it'd be cool to say, hey, man, here's a burner, a guy who's like a 4-3-ish guy that can go deep and catch it. But can they do that? Can they connect? I don't know. I've been kind of like very intrigued by Bradley. There's something about his growth from first year to second year and the fact that he did not look like an FCS player anymore, and now he's not an FCS player. And that's kind of what they need. They need that big, intimidating guy on the edge and and who could stand up who could be in a three-point stance, who can be off of a tackle shoulder or a tight end shoulder and make some plays and chase things down. I think they're going to be okay in the middle of the line of scrimmage. And if they can get like another force on the outside, that would be really interesting to me. The question is, can he transition? Because, yeah, he didn't look like an FCS player, but all of his opponents look like FCS players. That's not going to be the, the, the same situation for him now. Can he overcome that? I don't know. There's a whole lot about him that I like as far as potential and I do think that the coaching there, whether it's Andrew Jackson or maybe sometimes Jordan Leslie, who who was a defensive line coach, he is the bandits coach. But I mean, coming from the edge and being a pass rusher, he knows about that. And can they scheme it up to to spill some action to him or to spill him into the backfield or anybody in that edge? But there's a need there. They don't really have that guy, and and he kind of fits that that mold or fills that spot. Um, too many corners and safeties for me to like pick out one of them. Like which one of those guys is going to be the difference maker, but because they kind of blend in and I don't, I don't see a guy that blends in like this one here. It just seems like his growth as a player statistically and his size from year to one to two sets him up to transition and it'd be to be a, a factor, I think. And, and it's up to him, but I think he'll be in position to be in position. Good answer because I'm with you on the defensive backs thing. I was I was thinking my answer would probably come down. I wanted to say like oh, Beanie Bishop or Anthony Wilson. Like I feel like they've been the more accomplished players at this level already than than some of the other guys that are arriving this summer. But like you said, I mean Bishop is one of what four corners coming in and a couple safeties coming in with Wilson and safeties got a lot of returners back there. So how much time or is it? such a clear path that they're definitely going to be starting. I don't, I don't know that answer right now. So the part of me wanted to go that way, but I'm, I'm like you 
with one of your guys. Brad, I mean, Bradley, I'm intrigued by two, but I'm very intrigued by Horton in that he is something that they do not have right now. And, and when you are that, when you are something they don't have, that kind of clears a path for you to get on the field and make a difference. Yeah, that's something he's a guy that's got to run routes. Like, don't don't make him run streaks in, in those low slot fades. Like, I would be handing the ball or throwing him screens, and I just haven't seen that, but maybe they haven't had a guy like that. We'll see. Uh, final one for me, Chris. How much do you miss John Higgins? I first off, uh, didn't he, he? We did this with him on, and I was trying to find the video when they announced his retirement, where we talked about the three blind mice, and it wasn't who everybody thought it was, and actually, like Higgins in West Virginia's history with Higgins, or at least recent history, the stats I had available, they were you know West Virginia was like four and three in Higgins's last like handful of games with like actually fewer fouls called against them than in typical games. And, and I know that's hard for a lot of people to believe, but it was true. Um, at least if my memory serves me correct. I, I mean, I know we wrote something about it, but it was, I think it was, again, it was the showboating and him being at every game every night that, that really riled people up. And it makes me nervous as heck that he is going to be mentoring and raising the next generation of referees. Cause again, I don't know how many, you know, quote unquote bad calls he made. I don't think he was like bad in that sense. Like I think he was an accurate ref most of the time. I think a lot of the times it was him kind of wanting to just be involved in everything. And and again, it's not showboating, but just interjecting himself in the game. And it makes me nervous that somebody like that is in charge of of teaching the next generation of refs. It doesn't look like that's going to get any better. If you're on DraftKings or FanDuel, I would recommend paying attention to games in the Big Sky, Big West, Mountain West, Pac-12, WAC, and West Coast Conference this year because he is in charge of the officiating crews for those those leagues. And home and road splits might be interesting. <laughs> also, if, if this is a good, like, Final Four or NCAA tournament official and the state of officiating is so much that like you can single him out as being bad. And again, that's debatable, but certainly the arrows have aimed at him a lot. He's not officiating anymore. Who fills that spot? Like what, what's the quality of that official or those officials? That's not exactly heartwarming either. Mm, 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 mm. Wrapping it up here, Chris, um, Randy Maisie, baseball manager, news conference today. They are back on the field tomorrow night. Oh, gosh. That's the other thing about going to the three seed. You play these night games now. That's brutal. And also, they're probably going to run into Texas Tech's very good pitcher who gave them fits in the opener of their series two weeks ago in Morgantown. Um, a lot to cover there. Postseason baseball underway. We'll be keeping our eye on the basketball roster as well, huh? Yep. We got basketball roster stuff. Visit this coming weekend. Um, and then what? We are seven, eight days out from the first recruiting camp of the summer. Recruiting camp season's here. Um, working out the plans for that, and it's going to be a busy one. Yeah, I'd like to be there to help, but uh, sorry about that. That's okay, because as soon as you get back, I'm gone. So. I know, so at least I'll keep my card, just because someone's got to hold the card, right? Yep. We'll have it covered, I promise. Somebody, somehow, some way. Until then, I'm Mike Casazza. And I'm Chris Anderson. We will talk to you next time.